Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And this is Olivia. Yeah! <laughs> I'm back. Welcome back. I'm so excited. I love Varney so much. <laughs> Just Varney. <laughs> Just Varney? And no one else. And Jack Pringle. I was going to say, like, Jack, Jack Pringle has wormed his way into my heart. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime there's a character who's like really loud and aggressive who I can do a queer reading for, they're going to be my favorite character. <laughs> and boy, how does Jack Pringle knock off a lot of points on that? Yep. He ticks every box. Perfect man. All right, we are on chapter 19 of Varney the Vampire. <laughs> I am so proud of you guys. <laughs> Thank you. We, we do our best. It's like the third time someone said that to us about <laughs> continuing with Barney. Yeah, you should take that to heart. Like, this is really difficult. And you make it so much better. Aw. Thank you. Awful sweet of you to say. Chapter 19. Flora in her chamber, her fears, the manuscript, and adventure. <laughs> now, last chapter ended with Charles Holland giving Henry... His unpublished adventure novel manuscript to uh, hand over to Flora to comfort her in her time of woe. Every girl's dream. <laughs> oh, definitely. I love getting unpublished manuscripts. <laughs> and then not getting paid for it? The best. Oh, my favorite. Yeah, it's, it's always kind of a nightmare on date, what, three, when a guy's like, so I have a novel. Oh, no. And there was that one guy I found on OkCupid who just had his novel there. What? On the profile. Was that the guy where the chapter ended with the line, the galactic feds had arrived? Yes, oh, that would be, I'm sorry if he's listening, I don't think that's very likely. Um, <laughs> I don't think that sort of writer actually spends a lot of time imbibing the other creations of other people. Otherwise, the writing would get better. Um, <laughs> but yes, that ended with the galactic feds had arrived. <laughs> I would argue sci-fi novels with sentences like the galactic feds have arrived are the result of exclusively consuming content in like fictional format and never like going out and experiencing life and talking to another human being. <laughs> oh, that's fair. We are getting two very different and yet still exquisitely sharp perspectives on the same type of person. <laughs> it's almost as if you've both had the same bad experience. <laughs> it's crazy that that could happen to more than one person. <laughs> but you know, you know what? Every day it does. It's happening to Flora in 1842. It's happening to Flora <laughs> right now. <laughs> Henry found Flora in her chamber. Wait, wait, sorry. Is this Eye of Argon rules? Yes, Eye of Argon rules. Okay, sorry. Wait, okay, yeah. I just wanted to establish that. We read as long as we can without fucking up or cracking up, and commentary from everyone else is encouraged. So if you are listening to this while your significant other is cooking in the kitchen, uh, that is why the voices keep changing while we're reading. <laughs> <laughs> is... <laughs> This sounds like personal experience. Simmy. <laughs> Shout out to my wife. Yeah. What's up, Olivia's wife? <laughs> Henry found Flora in her chamber. She was in deep thought when he tapped at the door of the room, and such was the state of nervous excitement in which she was that even the demand for admission made by him to the room was sufficient to produce from her a sudden cry of alarm. <laughs> wow, that sentence had to be that long, huh? Uh-huh. 
I mean, that was only 49 words. That's not bad for Varney. Yeah, it's actually really low. Was sufficient to produce from her. It's the layering of the passive voice that gets to me. <laughs> Let's listen. No one's going to become active while he's writing, okay? No, absolutely not. Who, who is there, she then said in accents full of terror. Tis I, dear Flora, said Henry. She opened the door in an instant and, with a feeling of grateful relief, exclaimed, Oh, Henry, is it only you? Who did you suppose it was, Flora? She shuddered. I, I do not know. I thought someone cool, maybe, but... (laughs) But I am so foolish now and so weak-spirited that the slightest noise is enough to alarm me. You must, dear Flora, fight up, as I had hoped you were doing against this nervousness. I will endeavor. God, no wonder she's so excited to just see her brother if he's like, yeah, listen, I know it sucks when people come to visit you, but, like, fucking buck up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Helpful, Henry. (laughs) I will endeavor. Did not some strangers come a short time since, brother? Strangers to us, Flora, but not to Charles Holland. A relative of his, an uncle whom he much respects, has found him out here and has now come to see him. Also his boyfriend. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and also his boyfriend. We don't talk about him. (laughs) And to advise him, said Flora, as she sunk into a chair and wept bitterly, to advise him, of course, to desert as he would a pestilence a vampire bride. Ugh. Hush, hush, for the sake of heaven, never make use of such a phrase, Flora. You know not what a pang it brings to my heart to hear you. I mean, I heard Vampire Bride and I was like, that sounds sick. She should take that on the road. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds so fucking cool. (laughs) Oh, forgive me, brother. Say no more of it, Flora. Heed it not. It may be possible, in fact, it may well be supposed as more than probable, that the relative of Charles Holland may shrink from sanctioning the alliance. But do you rest securely in the possession of the heart which I feel convinced is wholly yours, and which I am sure would break ere it surrendered you? I don't. I can't. There's a couple <laughs> of sentences in here where I just f- cannot figure out what he's trying to say. I like that he basically came into her room and he and she was just like, man, this really sucks. And he's like, oh my god, with this again, you're bumming me out. <laughs> God damn it, Flora, don't you know how cool it is to be a vampire bride? Other women would have turned this into a brand by now. We need to get you on the influencer game. Seriously. Sorry, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around would break ere it surrendered you. I think my favorite one of the sentences, not just one, but my favorite is when the sentence is structured entirely like a question and then sort of awkwardly fragments into a statement. It's like someone who's been practicing really hard to get on Jeopardy, but, like, is also still trying to hold normal conversations in everyday life. Oh, God. Oh, God. What what type of guy is this that you've just invented? (laughs) I don't know, but I feel so bad for him. (laughs) (laughs) A smile of joy came across Flora's pale but beautiful face as she cried, And you, dear brother, you think so much of Charles's faith? Oh, is that what you were talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I'll take you think so much of Charles's faith for 400. As heaven is my judge, I do. Then I will bear up with what strength God may give me against all things that seek to depress me. I will not be conquered. You are right, Flora. I rejoice to find you in such a disposition. You ever just ask your friends, hey, how are you? And they're like, I'm all right. How are you? And you're like, I rejoice to find you in such a disposition. I I could start. (laughs) D does it. I'll start. Here is some manuscript which Charles thinks will amuse you, because he's a fucking idiot. 
and he bade me to ask you if you would be introduced to his uncle. Yes, yes, willingly. I will tell him so. I know he wishes it, and I will tell him so. This is so much just to meet, like, Uncle Bell and his boyfriend Jack. I will tell him so, I will tell him so. But will he tell him so? Uh, uh Willie, I think um, I'll take I will tell him so for $500. <laughs> be patient, dear Flora, and all may yet be well. But brother, on your sacred word, tell me you... D- uh, nope. Ah! Nope. All right. Livia's up next. Oh, no. I keep wanting to make the sentences active. I keep wanting to say, tell me you do and not tell me do you. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's, that's I think that's the most common, like, hiccup. You want to make the syntax make sense? Look desperately. You just need to search inside yourself for that really blue-blooded wasp who thinks that any type of a- action is aggressive and just fall back into that passive voice. I just need to get peak Connecticut. Just need to get, yes. <laughs> exactly. Hashtag thanks Martha. Let her take over your body as you're reading Varney the Vampire. Yes. It is kind of amazing to me and it never stops amazing to me that the most connecticut person on the face of the earth comes from new jersey <laughs> i know i didn't even know that yeah it's almost a disappointment but then it's too <laughs> funny to be one she's a jersey girl god oh god oh no i hate that i have to i have to go back into varney the vampire uh- <laughs> get back in get back in <laughs> come back come back i'm go- i'm going in but brother on your sacred word tell me do you th- not think this Sir Francis Varney is the vampire? I know not what to think, and do not press me for a judgment now. He shall be watched. Henry left his sister, and she sat for some moments in silence, with the papers before her that Charles had sent her. Just staring blankly at her boyfriend's manuscript, going, Well, I guess I have to find something nice to say about this. I gotta compliment oh sandwich this somehow. Honest to God, what a mood. She reads the words <laughs> galactic feds and slowly closes the manuscript. <laughs> she closes the really <laughs> Well, I think I don't understand why it had to be set in space if it's just a crime procedural. <laughs> but it's a good crime procedural. <laughs> I liked the dialogue. It's it's natural. It feels natural. It's like very you didn't natural. even edit it. Like you just <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is hurting my feelings. I have to go back into Varney. <laughs> So we're all, we're, we are all of some stripe writers and editors. Yes. Yes, she then said gently. He loves me. Charles loves me. I ought to be very, very happy. He loves me. Jesus Christ. In those words are concentrated a no, whole doesn't. world of joy. D, Charles loves me. <laughs> you? He will not forsake me. Oh, was there ever such dear love, such fond devotion? She can't think of anything nice to say about him is the thing. <laughs> she's, she's, yeah. It's the relationship you get stuck in because you know you should be happy with this person and you know that they care about you a lot, but like the spark just isn't there and you can't find an excuse to break it off. So you're just kind of trapped on this treadmill of a relationship. Wow, Ken. Can't break uh. up with them. <laughs> Uh, yup. (laughs) (laughs) This is an early 20s phenomenon. Ideally, you learn very quickly that not having a spark is a reason to break it off and just kind of let them go find someone else. Yes, okay, look, I'm gonna stop being uh, judgmental and point out that we have all at least watched another friend go through the same thing. Yeah. 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 Anyways, 
Uh, back to begging Flora to break up with lukewarm Charles. Such fond devotion? Never, never. Dear Charles, he loves me. He loves me. The very repetition of these words had a charm for Flora, a charm which was sufficient to banish much sorrow. Even the much-dreaded vampire was forgotten when the light of love was beaming upon her, and she told herself, He is mine! He is mine! He loves me truly! <laughs> He's mine! <laughs> and then and then it was crazy, Brandy and Monica, the boy is mine. Start playing. Ah. <laughs> uh. I'm going to play that in the background of this moment. <laughs> After a time, she turned to the manuscript which her brother had brought her, and with a far greater concentration of mind than she had thought it possible, that is such a fucking dig at Charles, she could bring to <laughs> it. Considering the many painful subjects of contemplation that she might have occupied herself with, she read the pages with very great pleasure and interest. Yeah? Citation needed. <laughs> That whole scene very much reads like she's psyching herself up to give a shit. Oh, damn. That's true, though. It does. I have to read this because Charles loves me loves and it's me. very good of him to love me and he loves me more than I possibly deserve. The least I can do is read his stupid book. Yeah. He loves me. He's very nice. He loves me. He's very nice. Okay. <laughs> <sighs> I'm read this book now. <laughs> the tale was one which chained her attention both by its incidents and the manner of its recital. It commenced as follows and was entitled Hugo de Verol, or The Double Plot. Oh, for fuck's sake. I don't actually want to read it. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. Wait. Okay. Is it just actually going to have his entire manuscript as the chapter? So, D, I did a little bit of Googling of Varney the Vampire, and I found out that the guy who wrote it was known for just making a shit ton of Penny Dreadfuls, including the ones that uh, brought us Sweeney Todd, which is interesting. The Ooh, fact huh. that he put... A Penny Dreadful that he couldn't get published into his Penny Dreadful is making me <laughs> feel a kind of way. You mean not strictly good? Whoa. No, it doesn't. In a very mountainous part of Hungary lived a nobleman whose paternal estates covered many a mile of rock and mountain land, as well as some fertile valleys in which reposed a hardy and content peasantry. The old Count de Hugo de Verol had quitted life early and had left his only son, the then Count Hugo de Verol, a boy of scarcely ten years, under the guardianship of his mother, an arbitrary and unscrupulous woman. This is really another one of his manuscripts. Yeah. Wow. Also, <laughs> an arbitrary and unscrupulous woman is a hell yeah. of a description. <laughs> I mean, that is what I'm going to get tattooed on my back. <laughs> Just like <laughs> So a trophy wife, basically. She's like an aging trophy wife. She's like, yeah, honey, it's fine. It's fine if you want to go out. Just it's You can take some of my money. Um, I'm just going to stay in, okay? Is that okay, honey? <laughs> oh, God. Is this just going to be an episode of us reciting, like, very, very sad relationship prospects? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Just the many mundane ways in which human beings can make each other m miserable without being malicious. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, we're just rewriting Barney the Vampire. Um, <laughs> the Count, her husband, had been one of those quiet, even-tempered men who have no desire to step beyond the sphere in which they are placed. He had no cares save those included in the management of his estate, the prosperity of his serfs, and the happiness of those, comma, around him. <laughs> um, 
His death caused much lamentation throughout his domains. It was so sudden and unexpected, being in the enjoyment of his health and strength until a few hours previous. Holy shit, he died. Oh my god. And then his energies became prostrated by pain and disease. Did he have a heart attack? That is actually really awful. Yeah. Yeah. There was a splendid funeral ceremony, which, according to the usages of his house, took place by torchlight. Cool. Goth as fuck. I can't believe this manuscript couldn't get published. <laughs> yeah, this is really hard to... Whew. Such a Does that count as a crack up or should I keep going? <laughs> it, it was it was us and not the text that fucked you up, so I think you're good. Okay. <laughs> so great and rapid were the ravages of disease that the Count's body quickly became a mass of corruption. All were amazed at the phenomenon and were heartily glad when the body was disposed of in the place prepared for its reception in the vaults of his own castle. Oh, the guests who came to witness the funeral and attended the Count's obsequies and to condole with the widow on the loss she had sustained, were entertained sumptuously for many days. They stood around and they pointed at his horribly mutilated body after he died. <laughs> oh, I bet this is cheering Flora right the fuck up. Yeah. Oh my god, I forgot that she was reading this. I was so entranced into the... Yeah, this, this is what Charles gave her to put her in a better mood. Oh man, I know that we are all talking nonstop about how weird it's going to be after you die because you might come back from the dead and we might need to shoot you. Anyways, here's what we're going to do. The widow sustained her part well. She was inconsolable for the loss of her husband and mourned his death bitterly. Her grief appeared profound, but she, with difficulty, subdued it to within decent bounds that she might not offend any of her numerous guests. However, they left with her the assurances of their profound regard, and then when they were gone, when the last guest had departed, and were no longer visible to the eye of the countess, as she gazed from the battlements, then her behavior changed totally. She descended from the battlements, and then with an imperious gesture she gave her orders that all the, the gates of the castle should be closed and a watch set. All signs of mourning she ordered to be laid on one side, save her own, which she wore, and then she retired to her own apartment where she remained unseen. Is this author predicting Queen Victoria's reaction to Prince Albert's death some 30 years from now? It yeah. feels like it. Here the Countess remained in profound meditation for nearly two days, during which time the attendants believed she was praying for the welfare of the soul of their deceased master, and they feared she would starve herself to death if she remained any longer. Just as they had assembled together for the purpose of either recalling her from her vigils or breaking open the door, they were amazed to see the countess open the room door and stand in the midst of them. What do you hear? she demanded in a stern voice. I can't believe I read that perfectly. I am <laughs> impressed. I am very impressed because, like, that's not a sentence. <laughs> yeah, it's not. I'm going to say something a little uh, a little contentious and say that I actually prefer this story to Varney the Vampire because we actually get all of the information on the backstory in the first page. True. Yeah. Very true. I don't need to find out, like, who Mr. Marchdale is in chapter three. <laughs> and then still not going to know quite what he's doing here. Yeah, not really have a pretty clear read on what, he, why, what he's about. He's Henry Bannerworth's boyfriend. I don't understand why you guys won't be with me on this like analysis. <laughs> I will believe it when the book confirms it. We have we have a standard for canon set with Admiral <laughs> Bell and Jack Pringle. We know that is what a relationship looks like in this universe. Until Henry and Marchdale are on that level, I will believe it when I see it. Fine. Yeah. 
The servants were amazed and terrified at her contracted brow and forgot to answer the question she put to them. What do you hear? Oh, we came, my That lady. time, that time it was correct. What do you do here? Oh, no! <laughs> oh, no! Oh, no! <laughs> no! I'm sorry, Olivia. You did very well, though. That was like a thousand words. <laughs> I was into it. So could you remind me what line we were at? What do you do here? <laughs> Great question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you do here? She demanded in a stern voice. The servants were amazed and terrified at her contracted brow and forgot to answer the question she put to them. What do you do here? Wait, no, D. What? The first one is what do you hear? What? And the second one is, what do you do here? Oh. So Olivia got the first one, but she missed the second one. Okay. Wait, I'm confused. Ken's up next. <laughs> On you, Ken. Take it away. <laughs> Bake them away, toys. <laughs> what do you do here? We came, my lady, to see, see, if, if you were well. And Why? Because we hadn't seen your ladyship these two days, and we thought that your grief was so excessive that we feared some harm might befall you. The countess's brows contracted for a few seconds, and she was about to make a hasty reply, but she conquered the desire to do so and merely said, I am not well, I am faint, but, had I been dying, I should not have thanked you for interfering to prevent me. However, you acted for the best, but do so no more. Now prepare me some food. Yeah, she's awesome. I love her. Fuck Varney, I want to hear more about her. The servants, thus dismissed, repaired to their stations, but with such a degree of alacrity that they sufficiently showed how much they feared their mistress. The young count, who was only in his sixth year... Wasn't he ten at the beginning of this? Uh, I actually... Scrolling back up. Yeah, I couldn't tell. Oh yeah, scarcely boy of ten. Oh, well I guess scarcely ten could be six. Yeah. He's scarcely 10. Like, technically, that could be any number but 10. I mean, like, it usually means 9, but we're gonna give the author some leeway. Yeah. The young Count, who was only in his sixth year, knew little about the loss he had sustained, but after a day or two's grief, there was an end to his sorrow. Whoa, nope. An end of his sorrow for the time. Olivia, you're up next. <laughs> Ripping through this. That night there came to the castle gate a man dressed in a black cloak, attended by a servant. They were both mounted on good horses, and they demanded to be admitted to the presence of the Countess de Hugo de Verol. Okay, here's something that just occurred to me. This mm -hmm. was supposed to have been written by Charles, who, by all accounts, is this big strapping young man who loves to travel, and he has these, like, two great guardians. He's supposed to be this very charming, sweet everyman, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And we're supposed to believe that he wrote a gothic novel. Yes. Yes. Like every man. Right, right. Like every man. It's normal for people to write gothic novels. Do you say you don't believe that the author of Varney the Vampire is a strapping, virile specimen of manhood with lots of friends and well-traveled? <laughs> the message was carried to the countess who started but said, Admit the stranger. Accordingly, the stranger was admitted and shown into the apartment where the countess was sitting. At a signal, the servants retired, leaving the countess and the stranger alone. It was some mo moments ere they spoke, and then the countess said in a low tone, You are come? I am come. I am come! <laughs> All right. <laughs> TMI there, bud. Yeah. 
You cannot now, you see, perform your threat. My husband, the Count, caught a putrid disease, and he is no more. I cannot indeed do what I intended, inform your husband of your amours, but I can do something as good, which will give you as much annoyance. Indeed. I more it will cause you to be hated. I can spread reports. You can. And these may ruin you. They may. What do you intend to do? Do you intend that I shall be an enemy or a friend? I can be either according to your will. What do you desire to be either? Inquired the countess with a careless tone. She is, she rules. I love her. <laughs> so fucking rad. Yeah, no, she's a boss. If you refuse my terms, you can make me an implacable enemy. And if you grant them, you can make me a useful friend and auxiliary, said the stranger. What would you do if you were my enemy? Inquired the countess. It is hardly my place, said the stranger, to furnish you with a knowledge of my intentions, but I will say this much, that the bankrupt Count of Morven is your lover. What? <laughs> my god. Charles should be writing Marnie the Vampire. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the bankrupt Count of Morven? <laughs> well, and in the second place, that you were the cause of the death of your husband. <gasps> How dare you, sir? I dare say so much, and I dare say also that the Count of Morvin brought the drug off me, and that he gave it to you, and that you gave it to the Count your husband. Oh my god. What a chain! And what could you do if you were my friend? inquired the Countess, in the same tone and without emotion. I should abstain from doing all this, should be able to put anyone else out of your way for you when you get rid of this Count of Morvin, as you assuredly will. For I know him too well not to be sure of that. That was a minefield. Holy shit. Yeah. Get rid of him. Exactly. In the same manner you got rid of the old count. Then I accept your terms. It is agreed, then? Yes, quite. Then we are decided. <laughs> I didn't realize that I was sympathetic to a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> I figured I was. That just makes me happier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes quite well then you must order me some rooms in a tower where i can pursue my studies in quiet you will be seen and noticed and all will be discovered no indeed i will take care of that i can so far disguise myself that he will not recognize me and you can give out i am a philosopher or necromancer or what you will two kinds of people philosophers and necromancers yeah, there's only two two guys you can have in your tower <laughs> Yeah, it's the Victorian period. He's got one of those ornamental hermits on his front lawn. Oh, and yes! And he's just planning on poisoning him, which I probably would have as well if someone was paying me to live on his lawn. Yeah. I don't know. If someone was paying me to live in, like, a fake temple in their garden, I might just kind of hang out. That is an ideal life for Ken. I can see that. <laughs> yeah. They would give you your leather-bound library. It would. No one will come to me. They will be terrified. Very well. And the gold? Shall be forthcoming as soon as I can get it. The Count has placed all his gold in safekeeping, and all I can seize are the rents as they become due. Oh, fuck, she's a landlord. Yeah. Well, oh, ooh. no. Very well, but let me have them. In the meantime, you must provide for me, as I have come here with the full intention of staying here, or in some neighboring town. Indeed. Yes, and my servants must be discharged, as I want none here. The countess called to an attendant and gave the necessary orders, and afterwards remained some time with the stranger, who had thus so unceremoniously thrust himself upon her, and insisted upon staying under such strange and awful circumstances. Boy, now, Flora must be really cheered up by now. 
Yeah, what a what a fun tale, a rollicking adventure. She's probably reading this manuscript and being like, "Damn, I love this countess. She's cool as yeah. hell. I want to be just like her." Flora's getting some ideas. <laughs> Flora's inspired to take a whole new tactic in eliminating Varney the vampire. Mm-hmm. Oh, damn it! She's already been the one who's the most successful at combating. Yeah, him. seriously. This might actually work. Charles's plan might be to like toughen her up with this manuscript. Maybe. Now, uh, if I can put some notes uh, for Charles in this manuscript just really quickly, I do want to point out um, that the Countess of Deverol might actually get more if she married the Count of Morven first. Oh, that's a good point. That would be the smarter play. Mm-hmm. Oh. She's ambitious enough, I can tell. I like her. Like the cut of her jib. <laughs> Said Jack Pringle. <laughs> I told you exactly why he was my favorite character. Um, yes. <laughs> the Count of Morven came a few weeks after and remained some days with the Countess. Oh, she might have heard me. They were ceremonious and polite until they had a moment to retire from before people when the Countess changed her cold disdain to a cordial and familiar address. Yeah, she heard me. And now, my dear Morven, she exclaimed as soon as they were unobserved. And now, my dear Morven. That we are not seen, tell me. What have you been doing with yourself? Why, I have been in some trouble. Oh god, he's pregnant. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> uh, I have never had gold that would stay by me. You know, my hand was always open. The old complaint again. No, but having come to the end of my store, I began to grow serious. Ah, uh, Morvin, said the Countess reproachfully. Well, never mind. When my purse is low, my spirits sink as the mercury does with the cold. You used to say my spirits were mercurial. I think they were. Two references to mercury in a single sentence. That's a good sign. It's the 1840s. Yes, yeah, the 1840s. Well, what did you do? Oh, nothing. Was that what you were about to tell me, inquired the Countess. Oh, dear, no. You recall that you... I choked. I fucked it up. <laughs> I okay. beefed it! You made it very far, though. I love these two Disney villains. <laughs> can, can I just say, I don't know, the illustration that has popped up here is, like, phenomenal. Oh, yeah. I, I, I love this image. I don't know what it refers to. Certainly not the next sentences, but... <laughs> it has nothing to do with this section. Okay, I will attempt to paint a word picture, if I may. Yes. We see a stone staircase in some kind of castle tower. A man at the top of the tower is pushing a wizard down the stairs. <laughs> whilst two guards with swords and torches look on from below. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's a hell of a picture. It's definitely Dumbledore. Oh my god. Yeah, that is what uh, I did to Dumbledore when J.K. Rowling was done with him. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. So down the stairs, you foggy old wizard. <laughs> oh dear, no. You recollect the Italian quack of whom I bought the drug you gave to the Count and which put an end to his days? He wanted more money. Well, as I had no more to spare, I could spare no more to him. <laughs> wow, yeah, okay. <laughs> I hadn't gotten it the first time you said it, but thank God you did it again. And he turned vicious and threatened. I threatened too, and he knew I was fully able and willing to perform any promise I might make to him on that score. He knew I would do anything to repay I him. I would do anything. I endeavored to catch him, 
as he had already began to set people off on the suspicious and marvellous concerning me, and if I could have come across him, I would have laid him very low indeed. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> and you could not find him? No, I could not. Insert wizard shoving illustration here. <laughs> yeah, yes. it's right there. I don't know what, like... I guess that's the Italian? Also, uh, kudos to this book for packing the entire Italian stereotype into two sentences. Yeah, no, they really, they really really... concised it, concised it? No, God, consolidated it down. Italiophobia. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Well then, I will tell you where he is at this present moment. You? Yes, I. I can scarcely credit my senses at what you say, said Count Morvan. My worthy doctor, you are little better than a candidate for divine honors. But where is he? Will you promise to be guided by me? said the Countess. If you make it a condition upon which you grant the information, I must. Oh my god, she's she's being a double agent? She's playing them against each other? Oh yeah, she's playing both sides, baby. Uh, I love her! Well then, I take that as a promise. You may. Where? Oh, where is he? Remember your promise. Your doctor is at this moment in th- this castle. This castle? Yes, this castle! (laughs) Surely, there must be some mistake. It is too much fortune at once. Don't call me Shirley. He came here for the same purpose he went to you. (laughs) Indeed! Yes, to get more money by extortion and a promise to poison anybody I liked. (laughs) It is the offer he made to me, and he named you. He named you to me and said I should be soon tired of you. <laughs> oh, it's the gift of the Magi. But this is poison. great. I love it. You got you got poison for me. I got wizard poison for you. Oh, Merry Christmas. <laughs> you have caged him? Oh, no. Oh, dear, no. He has a suite of apartments in the Eastern Tower where he passes for a philosopher or wizard, as people like best. Ah, it is not just the two genders of philosopher and necromancer, necromancer. but there is a third option, that of wizard. Yes. Well, yeah. How? I have given him leave there. Indeed. Yes. And what is more amazing is that he is to aid me in poisoning you when I have become tired of you. Oh, they're perfect for each other. (laughs) Really are. This is a riddle I cannot unravel. Tell me the solution. I feel like she made it clear that the solution is you're going to get poisoned. (laughs) Well, dear, listen. He came to me and told me of something I already knew and demanded money and a residence for his convenience, and I have granted him the asylum. You have. I have. She has. I see. I will give him an inch or two of my Andrea Ferrara. Is that what he calls his dick? Which I assume is a sword? Yeah, I'm assuming it's a sword, but it could be his dick. It's only going to give him two inches. (laughs) No, no. Do you countenance him? For a time, listen, we want men in the mines. My late husband sent very few to them of late years, and therefore they are getting short of men there. Aye, aye. I thought you read that wrong for a second, and then I reread it, and I was like, yeah, no, that's how he put it. Yeah, no, that's... Yeah. Those are the words he chose to put down on the page and then give to someone else who read them and said, good enough, and published them. <laughs> that's exactly what happened. Holy <laughs> shit. The thing will be for you to feign ignorance of the man, and then you will be able to get him seized and placed in the mines, for such men as he are dangerous and carry poisoned weapons. So don't kill him, but make him work for me, the Countess. 
I love the Countess. I do too. It's true. She is fantastic. And now I know why she's not marrying the Count, because he is what we would call a spendthrift. <laughs> yeah. He's what we might call a piece of shit scrub. <laughs> would he not be better out of the world at once? There would be no escape and no future contingencies. No, no. I will have no more lives taken, and he will be made useful. And moreover, he will have time to reflect upon the mistake he had made in threatening me. All right, so we're trying to redeem her within the text already. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. He was paid for the job, and he had no future claim. But what about the child? Oh, he may remain for some time longer here with us. It will be dangerous to do so, said the Count. He is now ten years old. He's Hang not. on. Hang on. And there's... <laughs> Wait, all right, wait. Hang on, okay. Is this a British schooling thing? No, it's oh. not. The Br the British experience, like, linear time the same way we do. <laughs> but would a sixth year be a ten-year-old? No. Like, he's, is this, is it Harry Potter rules? They said six-year-old, and they've said ten-year-old. No, he's scarcely ten, which is six. He's scarcely ten, which is any number smaller than ten. And also now 10 years old, so I guess in the time that the Count and the Countess were talking, he aged four years. <laughs> I feel like I have as well. <laughs> uh, okay, he is now 10 years old, and there is no knowing what may be done for him by his relatives. They dare not enter the gates of this castle, Morvin. Well, well. But you know he might have traveled the same road as his father, and all would be settled. No more lives, as I told you, but we can easily secure him some other way, and we shall be equally f as free from him and them. That is enough. There are dungeons, I know, in this castle, and he can be kept there safe enough. He can, but that is not what I propose. We can put him into the mines and confine him as a lunatic. That's her solution to everything. Put them in the mines! She, like, oh my god. Countess, you want to put everyone in the mines. Put them all in the mines! Excellent. This is two Emperor Palpatines now. You see, we must make those mines more productive somehow or other. They would be so, but the Count would not hear of it. He said it was so inhuman. They were so destructive of life. <laughs> what a sound. What were the mines intended for, if not for use? Exactly. I often said so, but he always put a negative to it. He just had this whole thing about dead kids. It was weird. I told him it's the 1700s. We don't care if kids die in a cave-in. They're not really a problem for another 200 years. He just wouldn't listen to me. I see Charles really has his pulse on the child labor crisis of the 1840s. It's true. We'll make use of an affirmative, my dear Countess, and see what will be the result in a change of policy. By the way, when will our marriage be celebrated? Oh no. Oh, he's so hopeful. Not for some months. <laughs> How so long? I am impatient. You must restrain your impatience. But we must have the boy settled first, and the Count will have been dead a longer time then, and we shall not give so much scandal to the weak-minded fools that were his friends for it will be dangerous to have so many events happen about the same period. You shall act as you think proper, but the first thing to be done will be to get this cunning doctor quietly out of the way. Yes, I must contrive to have him seized and carried to the mines. Beneath the tower in which he lives is a trap-door and a vault, from which, by means of another trap and a vault, <laughs> amazing, 
is a long subterranean passage that leads to a door with a trap in a vault <laughs> that opens into one end of the mines. Near this end live several men. They live there? Yeah, in the mines. Near the- <laughs> with the trap in the Near vault. This end lives- yeah. yeah, yeah. Near this end live several men whom you must give some reward to, and they will, by concert, seize him and set him to work. Oh my god. And if he will not work... Build another Rube Goldberg machine under the ground to make him work. Yeah, if he doesn't work, a trap in a vault, I think. (laughs) Check your chair, there's a trap in a vault! Why, they will scourge him in such a manner that he would be afraid even of a threat of a repetition of the same treatment. Or you could just kill him. No more deaths. I struggle to see how this is meaningfully distinct. Into the vault, Ken! The mines aren't going to mine themselves, Ken. God fucking damn it. That will do. But I think the worthy doctor will split himself with rage and malice. He will be like a caged tiger. Oh well. But he will be denuded of his teeth and claws, replied the countess, smiling. Therefore, he will have leisure to repent of having threatened his employers. Dun-dun-dun. Some weeks passed over, and the Count of Morven contrived to become acquainted with the doctor. They appeared to be utter strangers to each other, though each knew the other. The doctor having disguised himself, he believed the disguise impenetrable, and therefore sat at ease. My dude dyed his mustache and was like, Haha, no one will tell it's me. (laughs) Now I am a necromancer or a philosopher or something else. (laughs) Worthy doctor, said the Count to him one day, you have no doubt in your studies become acquainted with many of the secrets of science. I have, my lord count. There are few that are not known to Father Aldravani. I have spent many years in research. Indeed. Yes, the midnight lamp has burned till the glorious sun has reached the horizon and brings back the day. That's how time works, and yet have I been found beside my books. It's not a strong suit for a count of Morvin. He can't tell if a child is six or ten. This is true. Yeah, numbers are meaningless to him. "'Tis well. Men like you should well know the value of the purest and most valuable metals the earth produces. I know of but one. That is gold! Gold! It's more than one metal. No, it's gold! Gold! (laughs) "'Tis what I mean. But tis hard to procure from the bowels of the earth, from the heart of these mountains by which we are surrounded. Yes, that is true. But know you not the owners of this castle and territory— Possess these mines and work them. Again with the fucking mines. Into the mines. You're giving up the whole game, my man. Mm. I believe they do, but I thought they had discontinued working them some years. Oh no, that was given out to deceive the government, who claims so much out of its products. Wait, so these guys are tax dodgers too? They're tax dodgers. doing tax fraud. They're poisoners. Uh, I've got to put one more note in here for Charles. Uh, Charles, we do need to have some character to root for, you know? Like, the audience does need to have someone that they can sort of, like, hope to get out of the situation. Like, I don't know if you want it to be the little boy, but if you do want it to be the little boy, then you should definitely, like, build him up as a character, maybe, you know? Decide what his age is and stick to it. (laughs) No. I I see now. Uh, for the audience, Dia's getting back to the book. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, I was responding to Olivia. <laughs> and ever since, they have been working it privately and storing bars of gold up in the vaults of this. Here? In this castle? Yes, beneath this very tower, it being the least frequented, the strongest, and perfectly inaccessible from all sides, save the castle. 
it was placed there for the safest deposit. Oh my god. So he's just be- his his grand plan is to tell this guy, "Oh, don't tell anybody, but there's like piles and piles of secret gold directly under your bedroom. Don't take it. Goodbye." His very very clever plan to get this guy to into the mines was to say, "You know there's gold in the mines, right?" And the doctor's <laughs> like, "Whoa, I got to get right to the mines." <laughs> I see. And there is much gold deposited in the vaults. I believe there is an immense quantity in the vaults. And what is your motive for telling me of this hoard of the precious metal? A fine question. Mm. Why, doctor, I thought that you or I could use a few bars. And that if we acted in concert, we might be able to take away at various times and secrety, secrete, uh, secrete, secrete, in some place or other, enough to make us rich men for all our lives. I should like to see this gold before I said anything about it, replied the doctor thoughtfully. Oof. As you please. Do you find a lamp that will not go out by the sudden draughts of air, or have the means of relighting it, and I will accompany you? When? This very night, good doctor, when you shall see such a golden harvest you never yet hoped for, or even believed in. Yes, join me for a quick walk down into the mines, where I've also taken a cask of Amontillado. <laughs> I was about to say the yes, same thing. Yes, <laughs> I do have Amontillado down there. <laughs> Tonight be it, then, replied the doctor. I will have a lamp that will answer our purpose in some other matters. Do, good doctor. And the Count left the philosopher's cell. The plan takes, said the Count to the Countess. Give me the keys, and the worthy man will be in safety before daylight. Is he not suspicious? Not at all. He is suspicious, though. That's why he said he wanted to see the gold first. Yeah. That night, about an hour before midnight, the Count Morvan stole towards the philosopher's room. He tapped at the... I thought we established that he wasn't a philosopher. (laughs) He tapped at the door. Enter, said the philosopher. The Count entered and saw the philosopher seated, and by him a lamp of peculiar construction, and encased in gauze wire and a cloak. The lamp was wearing a cloak? Mm, no. It does seem that way, though. <laughs> Are you ready? inquired the Count. Quite, he replied. Is that your lamp? It is. Follow me, then, and hold the lamp tolerably high, as the way is strange and the steps steep. Keep your hand at the level of your eyes. <laughs> Keep your hand at the level of your hand. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> You have made up your mind, I dare say, as to what share of the undertaking you will accept of with me. And what if I will not, said the philosopher coolly. It falls to the ground, and I return the keys to their place. I dare say I shall not refuse, if you have not deceived me, as to the quantity and purity of the metal they have stored up. I am no judge of these metals, doctor. I am no assayist. But I believe you will find what I have to show you will far exceed your expectations on that head. Tis well, proceed. It's like really, really tasty amontillado is the thing. (laughs) Yeah, it's like super good. They had now got to the first vault in which stood the first door, and with some difficulty they opened the vault door. It has not been opened for some time, said the philosopher. I dare say not. They seldom used to go here, from what I can learn, though it is kept a great secret. And we can keep it so, likewise. True. Riveting. Um, they now entered the vault and came to the second door, which opened into a kind of flight of steps cut out of the solid rock, and then along a passage. So steps. Cut out of the mountain, which I guess the mountain is different from solid rock, of some kind of stone, which is different from mountain and rock. (laughs) 
But not so hard as the rock itself. But not so hard as the rock oh itself, which is a different kind of rock, I do God. believe. We have four discrete types of rock. Uh, and they're all in one sentence. <sighs> you see, said the Count, uh, there's many different kinds of rocks. <laughs> <laughs> what care has been taken to isolate the place and detach it from the castle so that it should not be dependent upon the possessor of the castle? This is the last door, but one, and now prepare yourself for a surprise, Doctor. This will be an extraordinary one. Oh, the Amontillado's coming. <laughs> so saying, the Count opened the door and stepped on one side when the Doctor approached the place and was immediately thrust forward by the Count, and he rolled down some steps into the mine. <laughs> As the illustration foretold! Yes. Perfect. And was immediately seized by some of the miners who had been stationed there for that purpose and carried to a distant part of the mine there to work for the remainder of his life. We did it! We did the whole Amontillado! Yay! Yay! <laughs> the Count, seeing all secure, refastened the doors and returned to the castle. A few weeks after this, the body of a youth, mangled and disfigured, was brought to the castle, which the Countess said was her son's body. The Count had immediately secured the real heir and thrust him into the mines, there to pass a life of labor and hopeless misery. Wait. Hey, are you feeling better yet, Flora? <laughs> uh, note to Charles, you said that you said earlier that she didn't want to kill anyone, but you do mention here that she killed a boy just to pass off as her son. She did seem to kill a boy, yeah. Uh, a, a boy that was hardly ten. Maybe she just waited for a child to die in the mines and just, like, brought it out. <laughs> oh, that's true. No more deaths, except for the people who work for me in my mines. Yeah. <laughs> this is a really great turn in the next sense. There was a high feast held. I, we hated that guy. Yeah. <laughs> the castle gates were thrown open. And everybody who came were entertained without question. Nobody asked any questions. That's what he means. I don't think any. Yeah, I, when I show up to the castle, I ask a lot of questions. Uh, not of this woman. I do not. I keep myself. No, no not <laughs> if I know she owns a mine. This was on the occasion of the Count's and Countess's marriage. It seemed many months after the death of her son, whom she affected to mourn for a long time. Uh, he, sure. A couple of months is about the right for your kid. Yeah. However... The marriage took place, and in all magnificence and splendor, the Countess again appeared arrayed in splendor and beauty. She was proud and haughty, and the Count was imperious. Imperious! In the meantime, the young Count de Hugo de Virol was confined in the mines and the doctor with him. By a strange coincidence, the doctor and the young Count became companions, and the former, meditating projects of revenge, educated the young Count as well as he was able for several years in the mines and cherished in the young man a spirit of revenge. Ah, so we're turning from the cask of Amontillado into, um... All right, never mind, I can't make this joke. I can't remember what book I'm referencing. Is it The Count of Monte Cristo <laughs> or The Man in the Iron Mask? Uh, you, uh yeah. Yeah, it's both of those. <laughs> what about my favorite book, The Count of Monte Cristo? <laughs> I'm sorry, The Cask of Monte Cristo. <laughs> the Cask of Monte Cristo is a very different book. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, how I make all my pie crusts. <laughs> they finally escaped together and proceeded to Leyden, where the doctor had friends and where he placed his... Can I just... We had to sit through an entire paragraph of all the different kinds of rocks that made up all the different kinds of <laughs> stairs in the tower. Uh-huh. But when it comes to the daring escape of the wrongfully imprisoned, we just get... They, they finally out. escaped together, I know. He, he figured... He couldn't imagine the mines well enough 
to make it like to obscure the fact that he was just ripping off the Count of Monte Cristo. <laughs> I will say I have been frantically Googling the Cask of Amontillado, the Man in the Iron Mask, and the Count of Monte Cristo, and I can Monte Cristo, Jesus Christ, every time. <laughs> but I can report that while Varney the Vampire does predate the Man in the Iron Mask and the Cask of Amontillado, it does not predate the Count of Monte Cristo. 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 Crisco. The Count of Monte Crisco. No. <laughs> they finally escaped together and proceeded to Leyden, where the doctor had friends and where he placed his pupil at the university and thus made him a most efficient means of revenge because the education of the Count gave him a means of appreciating the splendor and rank he had been deprived of. University has been described as many things, but efficient is not one of them. Mm-mm. I also would like to know how this, like, fucking shivering wretch has escaped the, the forcible work mines, but did have the money to send his kid to college. Uh, he's a philosopher. He had friends there. Yeah. And I guess his friends had tenor because, like, they just took the kid on. <laughs> yeah. He therefore determined to remain at Leiden until he was of age, and then apply to his father's friends and then to his sovereign to dispossess and punish them both for their double crime. Their double crime? Two of them. The Count and Countess lived on in a state of regal splendor. The immense revenue of his territory and the treasure the late Count had amassed, as well as the revenue that the mines brought in, would have supported a much larger expenditure than even their tastes disposed them to enjoy. They had heard nothing of the escape of the Doctor and the young Count. Indeed, those who knew of it held their peace and said nothing about it, for they feared the consequences of their negligence. Oh, that's convenient. <laughs> Just, we don't, listen, we all know about the mines. <laughs> the first intimation they received was at the hands of a state messenger, summoning them to deliver up the castle revenues and treasure of the late Count. Okay, so it's the Cask of Amontillado, it is the Count of Monte Cristo, it is the Man in the Iron Mask, and it is also Ants with a Z starring, um, and I guess I can't make that joke either because I forgot his name. Woody Harrelson? Yeah. Uh, Woody Allen? Woody Allen. Woody Allen, yes. Oh, it is like Aunt Z. Yeah. Or A Bug's Life? I can't remember which one it's like. I think it's like Ansi. So basically, what happened was the kid escaped the mines, went to college, and then called the IRS. Yes. What a fucking infernal plot. <laughs> this was astounding to them. And they refused to do so, but were soon after seized upon by a regiment of cuirassiers. Sent to take them, they were accused of the crime of murder at the instance of the doctor. What? How was the doctor? How would the doctor know? And how was he not also accused of the crime of murder? Yeah, how does how does he pin it on them without saying, "By the way, I killed him." Uh... No, no, I know they did it because I gave them the poison. You see, <laughs> like... oh my god, they were arraigned and found guilty. And as they were of the patrician order, their execution was delayed, and they were committed to exile. Ooh, this was done in a favor to the young count who did not wish to have his family name tainted by a public execution or they're being confined like convicts. I'm glad that we're having such biting social commentary in this uh, penny dreadful within a penny dreadful. Flora must be riveted. <laughs> She's so fucking excited. The Count and Countess quitted Hungary and settled in Italy, where they lived upon the remains of the Count of Morven's property, shorn of all their splendor, but enough to keep them from being compelled to do any menial office. So they're like, fine. Yeah, so they essentially got off scot-free. Yeah. The young Count took possession of his patrimony, and his treasure at last, such as was left by his mother and her palamoa. The doctor continued to hide his crime from the young count. I, I would love to know how. <laughs> and the perpetrators denying all knowledge of it, he escaped. 
but he returned to his native place laden with a reward for his services from the young count. Flora rose from her perusal of the manuscript, which here ended. What a good story! <laughs> oh my god! What the fuck was the point of any of that? I love this. What the fuck? So basically, we just stopped halfway through pretending that this was Charles's manuscript because the guy who was writing it realized he was bored. Oh my god. <laughs> I don't feel like finishing the story. Anyway, this is uh, Charles's unfinished story, so it makes sense. Why even bother? I don't understand. I... We are on the final sentence of this chapter. Please, okay. I beg you. <laughs> Free us. Flora rose from her perusal of the manuscript, which here ended, and even as she did so, she heard a footstep approaching her chamber door. I can't believe that this man has a story about a vampire attacking six people? Like, six people are involved in this vampire story, right? Yeah. And he is so strapped for plot devices that he decided to tell himself his Count of Monte Cristo fan fiction just to pad his word count. <laughs> so this is the Count of a Monte Cristo. <laughs> and he's cooler than the Count of Monte Cristo because he is actually a young boy under the age of 10 uh, who is being raised by a wizard in Hungary. After escaping the gold mines. When you say it like that, it actually seems insane that it was such a boring story. Again, I feel like the only reason, like, they just stopped it. <laughs> just decided it was over. They just decided it was over. They were like, wrap it up, wrap it up. <laughs> Flora's tapping at her wrist. Like, she's like, I, uh, mm, just gotta keep going. <laughs> Writing in the notes to Charles, like, yeah, this is great. I really liked it. I do have other things to think about. Uh, like the vampire. Oh, the vampire. Yes. Right, the vampire. <laughs> Fuck. That was amazing. Of all the things I expected from this book, to have another smaller book, like, just in the middle for no reason was not one of them. With better characters. I am going to say that again. Uh, the, the the philosopher I, yeah. is sort of a nothing, you know, a nothing sandwich, but the countess is great. Big fan. Big fan of this Disney villain. Yeah, yeah. She's bae, yeah. She is bae. She is bae. I'm also, like, reading this is really giving me the perspective of why the romantics were seen as, like, such a weird deviation from what was coming out at the time. Because, like, nobody thought that plots and fiction was supposed to be good. Okay, I could see that. Because this is, like, again, it's like The Count of Monte Cristo. It's, like, all of these books that were coming out around the same time period. But, like, this one is much more underwritten, right? Yeah, that's true. And again, like, I'm actually, I'm scrolling back through this, and the manuscript had a good 15 pages until the last page where it was just like, yeah, everything turned out great. Yeah, it was all good. Everyone lived, and everyone's good. Everyone lived, everyone's good, except for the people who died in the mines who don't matter. Uh, and they didn't say anything about the Count getting free because fuck him. Yeah, he he did. Yeah. Oh, it's also like Dune. Oh, it's like Dune. It's like Dune. <laughs> Dude, it's like Dune. It is like Dune. It's just I, like I Dune. also like that at no point, like, the Count, the young Count takes over, and at no point are they like, yeah, he shut down the gold mines. Like, apparently he just kept doing that. Yeah. Despite his many years' imprisonment in them, he was like, yeah, no, those are fine. Yeah. Yeah, he was like, well, I mean, I do have a lot of money now, so. <laughs> it was only bad when the gentry had to work in them. I just can't believe Charles made Flora read his manuscript. I can't believe he crapped out in Act 3 and just wrote it as a summary. 
man. Well, I guess Charles won't need to have a career as a novelist because he is going to come into his full family fortune next year, so. Yeah. Yeah. This is just a hobby. It's like when you bite into a king cake and sometimes there's a baby in it. Sometimes you bite into Varney and there's another story in it. <laughs> yeah? Like another shorter, slightly worse story. Is that the metaphor we're going with? I like it. Yeah. Is that the simile we're using today? Yep, that's the one. I'm defending D. Yeah, that's the one. I don't know why you're so shocked. That's it. You know what? You're right. You're right. <laughs> thank, thank you. Thank you. Yep. Yep. It's just like biting into a king cake and biting a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Well, thank you for coming to join us, Olivia, for this most unexpected chapter of Varney the Vampire. (laughs) Yeah. A completely different story. You might think that we actually said, just come along underneath the castle through a trap door and a vault. And another trap door. And another vault. And we will show you a chapter. And another trap door. And another vault. Of Varney. (laughs) But before I do, I want to see the chapter of Varney. (laughs) I have a whole cask of Varney chapters. (laughs) The only problem with this metaphor is who will I work with to overthrow the two of you when it is revealed that instead I am trapped in another story? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. They'll just see with all of our other guests that are also trapped in the Varney mic. (laughs) You'll just team up with a terrible book club and Tara. <laughs> it's just that, like, we, we do the whole thing where we lead you guys down in the mine, but then we lock ourselves in as well. Wait. Yeah, true. Yes. That is the way this metaphor works like, out. We're also, we're, we're also working the mines. Haha! Wait. <laughs> I don't think we, we are quite as on top of our evil screaming. Evil screaming? Evil scheming, as the Countess is. No. She is so well, on top But who is? No one. No one. No one. Not even the Count of Morven. I'm impressed that she let him live. Yeah, seriously, why? I don't know. If she had just married him and then killed him, she would have had both of his properties and her son for the rest of her life. She didn't seem to be too fussed about having a son. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but she's also wealthy. It's not like she has to raise him herself. That's true. Make him somebody else's problem. But when he comes of age, then he takes all the power and money away from her. Unless she makes sure that he's very well brought up and gives his mother something to do in her old age. Like manage his property? (laughs) Yes. Just let mommy handle it. Mommy knows best. It's fine, sweetie. It's fine. I'll just take care of it. Don't worry about it. Why don't you go out and have a good time? We never bring any girls home. (laughs) Oh, no. Makes a lot of friends at university, but never brings any girls home. Huh. Weird. And thus we discover that Charles has modeled the young heir after his uncle. Aw. <laughs> Holding it up to Admiral Bell, being like, look, you're in it. <laughs> Aw. Poor Jack can't read. The Admiral has to read it to him. Oh no, Jack. I'm sure that's a great activity for the two of them. So what, what do y'all think will happen next in Varney? Charles will write a second book. Oh god, no. Please yeah, no. Yeah, Flora goes and she's like, thanks for the manuscript, cha- and then he just immediately gives her the second manuscript. Oh, no. he's like, and he's like, I got the sequel already. Oh, God. <laughs> All right, that just gives more fuel to my theory that there is no vampire and it's just a story Flora has concocted to try and get rid of Charles. <laughs> okay, so here's my conspiracy theory. You know how, like, right now we're having this period where 
we're discussing the vampire as a symbol for like sexuality that is like sexuality that is being like slightly repressed in, in under our current social whatever to whatever yes so like for the first couple of chapters i was kind of glad to see a vampire story that might not be able to fit that formula but now i'm starting to worry that the uh sexual behavior that we can draw as a parallel to this is flora being forced to deal with a guy who broke into her room but is part of the gentry and therefore cannot be called out oh god damn it Mm. god damn it sorry guys (laughs) well that's that is very insightful literary analysis but it is less fun well yeah personally i don't like the analysis of using vampires as just a stand-in for sexuality. I think that's really reductive. That's going to be, like, my extra two cents. <laughs> I like that, yeah. I agree with those two cents. Yeah. Well, thank you all for joining us and for supporting the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. And we will see you next week for Chapter 20. Yes, we've finally made it to Chapter 20. Congratulations. <laughs> The dreadful mistake, the terrific interview in the chamber, the attack of the vampire. It's like you read two books. Yeah. (laughs) You got so many books for the price of one. Will the terrific interview in the chamber be an interview with the vampire? Oh, fuck. (gasps) Oh. This was such a groundbreaking piece of literary fiction. It really, really set the stage for a lot of what was to come. Yeah. (laughs) Until next week, au revoir. Goodbye. Goodbye.